what could it look like to work together to help an entire community become more hospitable and thrive together? Today, we're hearing a case study in doing this well from Chuck Davison, president and CEO of Visit SlowCal, who built a groundbreaking comprehensive program that successfully empowered local businesses in hospitality and beyond to welcome guests and encourage more travel to their destination. Hospitality. 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 Hospitality brings people together. This is Hospitality Daily, the show that helps you stay informed and inspired each day by the most interesting people in hospitality. My name is Josiah McKenzie, and my goal is to help you reconnect with why you work in this industry and get fired up to go out there, delight others, and reach your goals. Let's get started. I'm really excited to talk with you, and I appreciate my connecting us because I think as I've Followed from a distance some of the work that you've been doing. It's an amazing story. And I feel that in hospitality, sometimes some people get so focused on you know their business, their property, and you kind of miss the bigger picture, which is so, so important. So maybe to set the stage, tell us your role today. And then I'd love to hear your thoughts on how you think about tourism and travel broadly and how it intersects with the hospitality industry. Yeah, well, thanks so much for having me. I'm the president and CEO of an organization called Visit SlowCal, and we are the destination marketing and management organization for San Luis Obispo County, California, halfway between L.A. and San Francisco in a 400-mile radius, about 33 million people that we are exposed to in this destination. And so for us, you know, it's really a connection between wanting to bring visitation to this market and continue tourism thriving here but the balance of that with resident quality of life. And so we have one lens in which we kind of manage the business, and that's if our work doesn't improve or maintain the resident quality of life, we shouldn't be doing it. And that's a little bit different maybe than some destination organizations. For us, we live in such an amazing and beautiful part of the country that we wanna make sure from a sustainability and stewardship standpoint that we're protecting this beautiful place that we get to call home. I don't hear a lot of people talking about that. I was actually talking to someone way up on the California coast who had a big beef with short-term rentals and Airbnbs and whatever people's thoughts are about those. It's interesting because you know he was a proprietor of a smaller hotel, kind of felt the community was falling apart. So it's interesting. You're thinking holistically about, of course, tourism and hospitality businesses matter, but so do the people that live in the community. Yeah, you know, tourism's the number one economic driver in our community. It was worth $2.15 billion in 2022. So it's a major portion of the market, makes up uh, almost 10% of the countywide GDP. But with that said, the majority of our business owners here live here. We're not owned by a lot of outside organizations. 80% of the properties here are owned by locals when we talk about the lodging community. And because of that, they think about the market differently, right? We could all live in bigger places. Most of these businesses could be in places where they make more money. They choose to be here because it's such a special place to live. And so we want to make sure that we're proactively managing this destination to what we want it to be rather than reactively allowing it become something that we never intended. Mm. So people can get to know you a little bit. Folks that haven't met you yet, can you speak a little bit to some of the career experiences that you've had? And then I'd also love to hear your work on the California level 
And then let's talk about what you're doing in your area. But tell us a little bit about your career journey to your role today. Yeah, I'm super blessed. I was born and grew up in a family in Las Vegas. My family's now been in, in Las Vegas for 93 years. I didn't grow up in hospitality. My dad was a general contractor. My mom was an ICU nurse. But I went to UNLV, and at UNLV, by default, you're going to have some association with hospitality. My degree is actually in business and marketing. But while I was at UNLV, Mirage Resorts was the largest casino company at the time in the world, and they would select one student out of UNLV each year to go into their MAP program, the Management Associates program. And I uh, sometimes say they ran out of qualified people and they picked me. And I was blessed enough to go through a four-year internship at the Golden Nugget in Las Vegas, where I worked in every single department except for engineering and finance. So I started in room reservations. I worked at the front desk. I made beds and cleaned toilets and housekeeping. You know, I worked in food and beverage. And I spent two years on the casino side dealing craps and blackjack and fixing slot machines and working in surveillance and working in the casino cage. And the whole presence of that program is to raise people up to eventually be, you know, presidents and CEOs of hotels. And so I, I had the fortunate opportunity to work for Mirage for about nine years and then got recruited to go to work for a company called Icon Gaming. Carl Icon, the 40th wealthiest man in America at the time, owned three casinos in Vegas and one in Atlantic City. And I became the youngest vice president of the history of the company at 29, managing their marketing, sales and entertainment division. And that was an amazing experience. And I always thought that I would end up running a hotel in Las Vegas. But as I got one step away, my wife and I had our first baby girl when I was 33. And I started having some like health issues. And when I was, I went in to see a doctor and he said, you're either going to have a heart attack by the time you're 40 or you got to get out of the industry. And we had to take a serious look at life. The pace of Vegas is amazing. It's such an incredible destination with so much energy. But it's really hard to find balance there, especially depending on your age and kind of what you want your life plan to be. And so my wife and I made a decision that I would take a step away. And I did a four or five year stint in nonprofit, really trying to, I guess, redeem my soul for working in the casino industry that I was fortunate enough to grow up in. And then I got recruited. Expedia was opening a brand new division, their activities division. So everything that you can do and play with in a destination, that was part of this portfolio. And they were looking for somebody on the ground in Las Vegas who had connections who could help set that up. And I fortunately had a long history there. And I went to work at Expedia as a general manager of the West Coast on their activities division called Destination Services. And within six months, took over the U.S. and then ultimately North America and became a vice president there and had an amazing opportunity to run a team that was responsible for selling all the really cool things you can do when you go to visit a place. And then... After about five years, I was on the road about 20 days a month, and we had our fourth daughter. And I looked at my wife and said, this just isn't sustainable. If I want to stay married and I want to enjoy my family and I want to be there to see my four girls grow up, we need a quality of life change. And at the time, there were two opportunities. One was to move to Costa Rica, where I always thought I would spend time. And my wife said, we have four girls under 10 and third world health care is not our thing. And the second opportunity was Pismo Beach. And so we uh, relocated to Pismo Beach without knowing one person and without having a job because this is where we wanted to raise our kids. And now I'm blessed enough to be the CEO of the destination organization in one of the greatest places in the world. So it's all worked out pretty well. What a journey. I want to talk more about what you're doing in that capacity, but tell us just a little bit about what you're doing at the state level, because it feels all so interconnected. You are friends with Cassandra here in uh, San Francisco, uh, doing good things for San Francisco's tourism organization. But 
What are you doing on a state level? Yeah, I'm really fortunate with the work that we've been able to do in our market going back to when I took over in 2014 to have really elevated this destination. And that has brought attention and spotlight from the state. So I serve on Visit California CEO Council. There's 15 of us across the state. There's 100, I think 108 destination organizations in the state of California now. 15 of us serve Carolyn Batetta, the CEO of Visit California, and helping inform some of the decisions that are made at the state level and really work in concert with her. This year alone, we took two CEO missions internationally, one to Tokyo with the lieutenant governor, and then one over the summer to London and Paris to, again, from a both a travel perspective of encouraging travel back into the U.S., but also from a diplomatic perspective of trying to make sure we're connecting with the governments over there and make sure they understand they're welcome in the state of California in the way they visit here. And I also have the great pleasure this year of serving as the chair of the California Travel Association, which is our state advocacy organization that employs two lobbyists in Sacramento to do the work for the tourism and hospitality industry to make sure that we're protecting this entity that all of us are working really hard to advance. So I'm going to ask you a pretty high level question, but I'm just always curious to hear people's perspectives on this. And that is, you know, why does travel matter? Why does hospitality matter? You spoke to the economic impact, which is just huge. And I think people, some people don't recognize the impact, but so I don't want to diminish that, but also, is there anything else come to mind in terms of why it's so worthwhile to be focusing on promoting travel, promoting hospitality? Yeah, I think it's two things really outside of, you know, I think a lot of times we focus on the economic piece. I'm going to set that aside for a second. One is wellness and well-being. You know, people travel to sometimes escape or to be able to refocus. Our tagline here is life's too beautiful to rush. We're built on a mechanism of being able to reconnect with that special person in your life. Might be your brother or your sister or your parents. It might be your, you know, your fiance or your, you know, your spouse. It could be your best friend, you know, a whole host of things. But that ability to travel and spend time in an environment with people you care about is super important to the well-being of who we all are. But I think more than that, we say, I like to say, everything starts with a visit. So when you think about changing the demographics of the world, you know, people don't move to a destination that they've never been to. People don't start a business in a city or a country they've never visited as a matter of fact, Cal Poly, which is, you know, one of the largest technical universities in the West Coast based here in San Luis Obispo, when I guest lecture there throughout the year, I always ask the students, you know, how many people visited here before they made the decision to come to Cal Poly? And it's usually 98%. You know, there's usually one or two, typically international, that didn't do that. But the majority of people visit before they make a decision to do something else. And that's important because when you talk about the demographic of our community, which is 85% white, we have a huge focus on our DEI initiative and our cities. You know, we have seven municipalities and an unincorporated county. They're not in a position to change the demographic of who lives here. We are. If we can attract the right person to this destination and a diverse audience to this destination, those people will realize how special this place is, too. And over time, they will move here and we will change the demographic structure of this community that we're fortunate enough to call home. That's an important aspect that gets lost most of the time in travel and tourism. And it's something that I'm really passionate about. And I love that we're able to influence that. So it all starts with a visit. We'll be back after a quick break. Are you enjoying this conversation? If so, I invite you to text this episode to a friend or a colleague as well. Not only will you let them know that you're thinking about them, but you'll help them as well. 
One more thing. I'm having a lot of fun right now sharing videos and photos from the stories on the show. So if you'd like to see those or watch along, open up Instagram and YouTube now and follow Hospitality Daily so we can stay in touch. All right, let's get back to the conversation. I appreciate you speaking to that because I talked to a lot of people and that is a fresh perspective, a fresh take, you know, underscoring the importance of all of this. It's such, such important work. And then obviously the economic impact, you know, provides livelihoods and jobs and enables families to, uh, you know, provide for people to provide for the families. And that's a really, really important work. I'd love to talk about the uh, Slow Cal Welcome program that you put together. And I guess to tee that up, is there any kind of background what I'd love to get into is kind of what was the origin of all of this, but how would you introduce kind of or set the stage for how this all came to be? Yeah, so SlowCal Welcome is our online self-paced free customer service training program that we rolled out just about a year ago that's free to everyone. We built it for the hospitality industry, but we have found through the process there's a whole group of people that you wouldn't normally lump into hospitality that are currently using it. And so that's been really fun and exciting for the destination. But there is a backstory to that. So if you were to go back to 2016, we developed our very first strategic plan as the organization. I had been here just over a year and we set out to craft, you know, what's the organization going to look like over the next three years? And one of the things that was identified in there was that we needed a destination management strategy or a, a tourism infrastructure master plan. Uh, you know, they go by many different names now, but they're all essentially the same thing. And this plan is for us a 30-year look into the future about, again, how do we proactively make this destination what we want it to be rather than reactively allowing it to become something we never intended. In that destination management strategy, which took about two years to facilitate and included every city manager from our seven municipalities, along with the county administrator from the county, and then big strategic partners like Cal Poly and the airport and other individuals. We ended up mapping to 28 recommendations that we needed to somehow find a way to advance over the next 30 years. And those 28 recommendations are broken into three buckets. One bucket is items that we at Visit SlowCal own and fund. One bucket is items we champion, and one bucket is items we advocate for. So in the bucket of ownership and funding, one of the items that was identified in the visitor profile studies that were conducted during the development of the destination management strategy is, as a destination on average, we were scoring 67% in customer service. Now, when you're spending, our organization spending about $3.5 million a year just trying to attract people here through online and broadcast advertising. And so, you know, we all know that it's much easier to get a customer to come back than to attract a new customer. And the cost of that is much, much less. And so we realized, you know, we're spending a lot of time trying to drive these people here and they're coming here and maybe not having the experience that we need them to have. And so we brought this to the steering committee, and it's interesting because one of the city managers said, well, 67% isn't that bad. And I said, well, if your you know, student came home with 67% on their test, how would you feel about that? And he said, yeah, that's not going to work, right? And so it took that conversation to kind of flip the script for people to understand that sometimes in the Central Coast, good is good enough. We have a bit of a siesta mindset here of, you know, hey, the waves are really good today. It's two o'clock. Let's close the business and go surfing. And that's not the mindset that's going to sustain business long term. Like we need to show up for the customer and meet their expectations and exceed them. 
And so that's kind of the premise of how this Slow Cal Welcome came about was identifying that there was a challenge and then determining as a leadership organization, how are we going to go about solving for that? I love it. And every great program starts with a strategy behind it, right? It's not just a reactive initiative. Tell me a little bit more about kind of what the program included or the main components of it. Yeah, I am so passionate and excited about this work that we were able to advance. Our team worked really hard on this over a two-year process. We invested with a company called ICOM, who is based in Calgary, Canada. They developed what's called the White Hat Academy for Calgary. If you know anything about Calgary and the Calgary Stampede, they're famous for their white Stetson hats. And so that's their branding model on that. And through a class I was in, Destinations International, which is our international DMO organization, has a education platform called CDME. It's a Certified Destination Management Executive Program. And so as I was getting my certification, one of the classes I was sitting in, they unveiled this White Hat Academy. And I said, man, that is just unbelievable. Like, we need to talk to those people as we try to figure out this customer service platform. And so we engaged them and over about 18 months built a platform that has eight different modules. So it's, again, this is a free online self-paced program that results in a certification in customer service. And so it's got a beginner, intermediate, and advanced module. It has a module for hotels only. It has a module for restaurants only. It has a module for attractions only. It has a module for DEI. How are we welcoming in our destination? Our destination had a long path of things like China Ready in the state of California, trying to get ready for the influx of Chinese travel that was going to come back in 2016, 17, leading up to the pandemic. So we'd already kind of gone through this welcome program, but how do we extend that? and make it broader to everyone. And then it has a module that's focused all on the destination. So again, seven municipalities and one unincorporated county, 3,600 square miles, 21 communities, right? How do we make sure that somebody standing at a front desk in Pismo Beach can tell somebody about something in Paso Robles if they're going to go there? Because our responsibility as a destination organization is to get people out and about the community, not just have them find their footprint in one individual township. And so that development of that program has really allowed us to help advance what's taking place here in the market. In just a year's period of time, we've had 900 individuals get certified in this program, which has just been absolutely amazing. And as I said earlier, you know, a lot of this is tourism and hospitality, but the local animal shelter put their entire team through the Slow Cal Welcome program, which for me was super cool. The mayor of the city of San Luis Obispo asked if she could put the entire staff of the city through. I don't know that the city manager is going to allocate time for all of them to go through it, but just the, the request from the mayor to see the value in the program and want to provide service not only you know, for their community, but for the residents that live here. And I think that's been one of the special things that we've been able to share in our community value uh, sentiment is visitors get the benefit of this. But if you're sitting in a local restaurant as a resident, you get the benefit of it too. You want good service like everybody else. And so this is a scenario where we're able to move the needle for tourism, but we're also able to move the needle for the residents that call this place home. I love that. I love that so much. I think there's principles of hospitality we can apply far beyond the business of hospitality. And it's really cool to see that do any examples come to mind of like a hotel or hospitality business that you worked with? And, and if so, I'm kind of curious what the results have been or feedback you got from them. 
Yeah, so we have a hotel in Pismo Beach, which is one example that they set out to really help develop and advance their guest loyalty program. They understood, as we did in this customer service scenario, that trying to keep those people coming back was going to be much easier than attracting a new audience. And so they assigned their assistant general manager and their executive housekeeper to not only go through this program, but start to unpack, okay, how could we use this to help advance this initiative that we have at our individual property, which, you know, makes sense on the on the AGM side. Traditionally, you see front of house, but the executive housekeeper scenario is a little bit different and interesting. Again, we are 80% of our properties here are non-branded. They're independent hotels. So they don't have the luxury of having maybe Marriott training or something like that, which is also a reason that this program was so important. One of our callings as a destination organization is how do we do for the community what they can't do for themselves? And, you know, they weren't going to be able to go out and spend this program, uh, $200,000 to develop and launch this program. They don't have the funds or the ability or the wherewithal to be able to do that. And so as they went through the program and started looking at opportunity, they really focused in on how do we train the back of the house to help make a difference? Those are the surprise and delight conversations and opportunities you don't necessarily even expect as a customer. When you're walking down the hallway and the housekeeper stops what they're doing and looks you in the eye and greets you and says, good morning, thank you for staying with us. Or is there anything I can do for you in your room that might be of assistance or, or whatever that looks like, right? That creates a relationship. It creates engagement. It's an opportunity for another touch point with the customer that they weren't necessarily expecting, which is that surprise and delight moment, even in something that small. And so they put their entire team through this protocol. We have a scenario where businesses can become a slow cal expert if they'll put 60% of their front of the house team through the platform and get trained. They get amazing plaque and recognition on their website and on our website, you know, so that when customers come in, they see that. But this organization said, hey, 60% of front of the house isn't going to be good enough. Like we need to get the back of the house involved in this process too. And so they did that. And what they've seen is the engagement scores from their guests go up and the loyalty go up because the guest is saying, hey, this isn't an experience that I'm necessarily used to, or again, that I expect at a 60-room property in Pismo Beach. And so it's been really fun to hear, again, the stories from an executive housekeeper on why it's made a difference for her team. And it's excited her team in the work that they're doing. They feel like they're providing value more than just cleaning a room, which is really neat when we talk about, you know, the hospitality space. It certainly is. And I'm smiling just listening to you talk because I feel like you touched on everything that people in hospitality care about, right? Engaging their teams, helping them grow, develop the business outcomes of loyalty, guest satisfaction being higher. So it's so cool to kind of see results across the region, but within the world of hospitality and hotels, uh, see results there. I think, you know, what, what also stands out to me is how you have pulled from threads and learnings across your career to kind of put this program together. And also how you think on a global scale, you mentioned visiting Tokyo and London and Paris and you're taking the best practices from all over the place. And Hospitality Daily has a global audience. There's people all over the world listening. I'm curious what your advice would be for our listeners in general, you know, kind of what you've learned through the program. What would you encourage our listeners to do or think about after listening to our conversation here? Well, I think, you know, one of the learnings for us in going through this was the fact that although we developed it for hospitality, it includes everyone. And so 
I would say, you know, as we think about programming, you know, I'm really focused over this next five years on what do destination organizations become. We're not going to be like we were five years ago, and we're we're morphing now, but we're going to have to morph even more. And so I would really encourage the audience that as you're thinking about programming, try to think beyond the bounds or the limits in which the program is being created. If we had simply gone in that program, if it's for hospitality only, we would have never got where we are today. Because the other interesting thing about that program, it's now become a workforce development tool. We now have young students in both Cal Poly and at the local high schools who are going through this program. And that's giving them a foundation from the beginning, right, that's going to introduce them to a new audience. They don't necessarily work in tourism and hospitality yet, but it's giving them tools, quite frankly, that even if they don't work in tourism and hospitality are going to be a benefit to them in whatever industry they choose to call home. And so I would really encourage the audience to be thinking beyond the bounds of what program creation looks like and how do we really kind of turn that upside down on its head and see how we can influence other industries. One of the challenges that we all know tourism and hospitality have is the younger generation isn't considering us as an opportunity for their career path. And we need to find ways to bring that group into our fold and help excite them as we're excited, right, about this amazing work that we get to do. I tell our team all the time, we aren't curing cancer. We're not smart enough. I'm not smart enough to do that. I sure hope somebody figures it out. We're not sending rockets to the moon, although Vandenberg Air Force Base is just down the street from us, and they're sending two rockets up with payload every single week. And so we're taking advantage of West Coast space tourism. But we are selling fun and creating memories, right? And so how do we get this younger audience to understand that and see a career path in doing that? And I think looking beyond the bounds of the way we currently structure programs is one way to get there. I love it, Chuck. I love what you're doing. Thank you for sharing some of this with us. I'm going to include links in the show notes where people can learn more about your organization, about you, follow you on social media, all that good stuff. But thank you so much for taking some time to chat with us and share your insights and perspectives. Thanks for having me. Honored to be with you today. Great hospitality providers know that every touchpoint matters a lot. So they spend a lot of time making sure that each interaction better serves their guests and makes life easier for their teams. If you'd like to operate this way, I suggest you check out Sojourn. They've built a reputation as the market leader in helping hotels and resorts earn direct bookings through digital advertising over the years. And more recently, they've expanded into offering a complete suite of guest experience solutions, including an AI smart concierge, reputation manager, and guest marketing suite. I've been working with Sojourn for years now, and everything from the way their technology is built to the talented experts they have on staff makes it no surprise that when I talk with people about technology, Sojourn comes up again and again. Hospitality providers love them. If you'd like to learn more about how Sojourn can help you better engage your guests and drive more profitable direct bookings, visit Sojourn.com. That's S-O-J-E-R-N.com. Before we go, I want to let you know about a few more things. First, if you haven't done so already, subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite app to stay inspired each day by actionable insights from the most interesting people in hospitality. Second, I've started sharing videos and photos from the stories on this show on Instagram and YouTube, so if you'd like to see those or watch along, I encourage you to follow Hospitality Daily there so we can stay in touch. Third, if you'd like to listen to more conversations like the one you just heard, visit this podcast website at podcast.hospitalitydaily.com. 
I've spent a lot of time building out this website because I want to make it really easy for you to listen to the topics and guests that you are interested in, whether that's culture and leadership or operations or technology or something else. Browse and search the entire library of more than 400 episodes from some of the top leaders and innovators in hospitality at podcast.hospitalitydaily.com to get ideas for delighting the people around you and reaching your business and career goals. I produce this podcast each day and give it away for free because I want us all to learn and grow together. If you enjoyed today's episode, I just have one favor to ask. Please take a moment to text or email this episode to a friend or colleague who might appreciate it as well. They'll be grateful to hear from you and what we covered in the show can help them as I hope it helped you today. Thanks for listening and I'll see you here tomorrow. 